Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. Take a seat. Hey, Lizy, could you grab me that pulpit just there? Sweet, that would be a wonderful job for you to do this morning, I think. I reckon you're going to be so good at it. Look at this. Your dad, he's often had this job, but you're doing it a whole lot better than he ever has. That's wonderful. No offence, Troy, to your pulpit carrying, but I think you've put yourself out of a job. (laughs) When you think of going into the deep, being called into the deep, where does your mind go? You know, does your mind go to the Mariana Trench, you know, the deepest ocean trench in all of the world, two and a half thousand kilometers long, 69 kilometers wide, and at its deepest point, 10,984 meters deep? Do you think about scuba diving? Do you think about the deepest you've ever gone to the bottom of a pool? Do you think about maybe when I say going deep, do you think about a conversation that you may have had with a long and trusted friend? When I think of going into the deep, I cannot separate that thought from going way out to sea. And yes, there's going to be more fishing stories today. But being 50 to 60 kilometers off the coast... You know, in the realms of where the water inches its way deeper towards the continental shelf. And then all of a sudden, within a matter of miles, it drops off out to 1,000 metres, out to 2,000 metres, out to 3,000 metres deep. That is a place for me where I correspond being going into the deep. There is always so much life to see out in those deep waters. Life that you would otherwise not see in our estuary systems, uh, life that you wouldn't see in just even the shallower coastal waters off Cronulla, but life in incredible abundance. I mean, who has ever seen a sunfish in the wild? This is a sunfish. You only see these guys in the deep. I've seen about three of them. I did take a photo of one. This isn't it. This photo was a whole lot better than the photo that I managed to take. But I love this permanent face that Mr. Sunfish has. It's as though he lives his life out in the deep of the incredible and in, of in, incredible wonder of everything that he sees. Whoa. Check it out. As all of the life bursts around him. You know, I think that this was probably the face that Ezekiel pulled. As last week we looked at Ezekiel 47, and the angel of the Lord took Ezekiel and showed him the river of life. And as he showed him, he saw all of the abundance and the trees and the life and the fish and the color, and everything was dialed up and amplified. And Ezekiel would have been like Mr. Sunfish. Whoa. Look at all of this. 
And as the Lord takes us deeper, there will be so much more beauty and wonder for us to see. I sense that we are going to be surprised by God as he shows us what it's like to go deeper with him this year. And I think that our response will also be like Mr. Sunfish. No way. I can't believe what God is doing. He is so big and so strong and so mighty. How does the rest of the song go? There's nothing our God cannot do. Moments that will take, I believe, our collective breath away as we see the resurrection power of Jesus bringing hope and restoring lives and seeing people's hearts and minds turn to Jesus as we go. Last week, I outlined five places that I believe the Lord is calling us into the deep this year, deeper into community, deeper into wonder, deeper into the Word, deeper into discipleship, and deeper into God's mission. And today I want to take you on a journey into the deep and explore what it means for us to be called deeper into God's Word and deeper into wonder. I've kind of bitten off a little bit more than I can chew in tackling two at once, but I needed three weeks to cover five things. Um, So bear with me this morning. Before we do, though, I made a bit of a promise last week, and again, um, in Be Connected, if you read that, it's our weekly email that goes out, I made a bit of a promise um, and said that if you would take the courageous step and jump out into the deep water as the Lord is calling you, that I would buy you a McFlurry. And by the fact that you are here, I'm making an assumption that you've jumped, that something right deep within your gizzards You have felt God saying, come with me, and you have responded to that, and thus you are here. So I'm sorry to everyone watching online at home. You'll have to go to the freezer and make your own. But for everybody else in the room, here is your McFlurry. Shaz, Rocky. As the... This is not a replacement of communion, by the way. This, I I promised, I even got emails back this week, people saying, I'm in only for the McFlurry. I got somebody emailed back uh, from Be Connected saying, I'm in and I don't need the McFlurry. So Shelley Forrest, you can give yours to somebody else. But take your McFlurry and I am going to pray. Father, we thank you that right now in this moment that we are caught up in a sacred space in this sacred time, that, Father, you are so present and so near, that, Lord, you are the living waters who run through our midst this morning, bringing life, making dead things come to life again. And so, Father, as we look at your word this morning, your presence your written word, we ask, Father, that we would see you more clearly, that we would have a greater understanding of the love that you have for us, and that you would lead us to follow Jesus more fully. Amen. I'm just going to cue a little video, and I'll be back in a moment. Um, So just talk amongst yourselves, and just enjoy the calm and relaxing sights and sounds of the screen.
single day of the week, there is a boat capsized somewhere up and down the East Coast. There is someone who forgot to put the bung in. There are people who have just got no idea and set out to catch a fish of a lifetime only to find out they didn't have enough fuel or something else had malfunctioned with their motor or they weren't well equipped for the mission. I mean, it's essential that you have your fishing hat. This one has seen some days before. Elise is at me every time. Where's your hat? And where's your fishing shirt? You know, these are firstly an essential item, you know, from protection from the harsh elements around you. Uh, A life jacket. You know, you must be well equipped with safety devices when you go into the deep. This here, if I was to capsize or if something was to happen to me and I fell in the water and I was exposed to danger, this is going to keep me afloat. This is going to buoy me in an emergency situation. Uh, A fire extinguisher. And I've got power on this boat. There's batteries in this boat. And by law, I have to have this in case a fire starts, in case something goes pear-shaped and I've got to put out a fire, or perhaps there might be a boat nearby that catches a light and I can be of assistance to them with this handy piece of equipment. Uh, What about, where's my torch? You know, the dangers at night time, when you're in the dark on a boat, all of the navigational hazards that you might find out in the water during the day, the sandbars and the things that you could run into so easily, at night they are near impossible to see. And so having a light to light up the darkness is a really important piece of equipment if you're going into the deep. Navigation lights. You ready? Are they, there they are. Look at that. Navigation lights. I mean, these are so important if you're going deep because... They help other people identify you in the dark. You know, they help when you are uh, moving through the water and at a distance, other boats can say, I can see them. They're over there to not run in and to be aware and they help us be lights in that dark kind of place. Uh, I've got a battery. I've got two batteries on here, in fact, just in case one runs out. I've got to power my lights and my stereo because I need my music and I've got to power my fish finder and my GPS. All of this requires power. Uh, An anchor. I've got my anchor here. And an anchor, this here, goes down and it digs in deep into the sand. And when I'm fishing in somewhere where there's lots of current or there's lots of um, water moving around, this digs in deep and holds me in place against the tidal flow and against the current. It allows me to hold my ground. Uh, We've also got in here uh, a baler. You know, when I've got my tubs here full of live bait, you know, fish that we catch, then to use them to ca- catch bigger, it's cruel, <laughs> I know, just come with me. But sometimes even when we cut up prawns and we cut up pilchards and we, we, we dice them all up, all the fish and blood and guts in a bucket and put a bit of water in there so we can throw it out um, to attract other fish. Sometimes all of that uh, yucky, gross, filthy water ends up in the back of the boat down here, and I've got to use the um, baler to scoop that out and, and tip it out. It's useful uh, for getting things that aren't meant to be in out. Uh, the baler is a really helpful piece of um, equipment. Uh, fishing rods, here, fishing rods. These, you know, our purpose for going out into the deep 
um, is not just to go for a cruise, but to be about the mission of catching fish. And to have the right tools at hand is necessary for us to fulfill our mission, but to also get a feed. Um, If we didn't have these, we would be coming home uh, with our tail between our legs, as often happens anyway, um, and we would have nothing to show for it. Uh, Even this piece of equipment here, this is called a fighting belt, and this goes around your... I was going to get someone to dress up, but it's far too complicated. This bit here goes around your, um, your, the front here, and this bit goes around your back, and it clips into the rods, and the fighting belt gives you leverage against the thing that you're trying to catch, a really useful um, piece of equipment if you're going out into the deep. Uh, tackle. Um, I mean, it's, it's depending on the seasons and uh, when they change and how the tidal conditions and what time of year it might be. Sometimes we might fish with this little um, piece of uh, plastic and that might catch us a little brim. But then we might, um, at other times of the year like now, we might be using something like this, a big blue marlin lure. This is another piece of equipment that as the seasons change, the, the things that we need on board to catch what we're going to catch needs to change and adapt with it. Uh, seat cushions. You probably can't see them, but I've got these luxurious seat cushions, and I've installed one for me quite a while ago, but I kept watching Rocky as he sat up the front of the boat on a choppy day, and it was going whack, 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 and dad, my my bottom, (laughs) my back. And so I installed these just to cushion the ride a little bit, a necessary piece of equipment that will ultimately save your bottom. Um, this stuff here. If you haven't got any, get some. It's called Ballistol. Um, also like WD-40. Salt in here seizes stuff up, whether it's hinges or, or little clamps or fishing reels. They get seized up, you know, just by being exposed to the elements. Um, they corrode and they become Inusable. Unusable? I'm not quite sure what the word is. However, when you just apply a squirt of ballistol or inox or WD-40, it doesn't take long for that thing to unseize again, to get its movement back, to get its function back again, to get the ability for what it was meant to do uh, after it has been taken away to bring it back to life uh, again. Uh, The fish finder. I'll put a picture up on screen as well. Um, This is my fish finder, a little six and a half inch screen. And what the fish finder does, it is able to scan the depths and reveal what is unseen. So this is what I would be looking at on this. And it probably makes absolutely no sense to you, but let me give you a quick lesson. At the very top of the screen is the surface. At the very bottom of the screen, you guessed it, is the bottom of the ocean, which 82 fathoms deep, about 150 metres of water. We're on the continental shelf fishing for marlin. And that big blob in the middle between about 90 metres and 110 metres is a big ball of bait. That is little fish like this all bunched up together, hanging on to each other for dear life because around that bait ball there are big fish, marlin, dolphin fish, sharks, all herding that bait up into a ball, and we are able to use a piece of equipment that can reveal to us what is unseen to make it seen. And then we know, oh, cool, there's big fish down there too. This is where we're going to fish. 
the GPS, which is also in the same unit. It does, the, it does two in one kind of thing. And this is the picture we see when we open our maps. It locates us. Every pinpoint, you can see Kiam is all the way down the bottom and Sydney Harbour all the way up the top. And all of those fish marks is where we've caught fish or seen fish. And all of the crosses have just been moments of interest where we've gone, oh, check it out. We need to come back here and we hit the button. And it records the story of what has gone before us. You know, when we come home at night time, when we're 50, 60 kilometres out to sea and it is pitch black, you can't see land, you can't see lights, you can't see the city, in the dark, this thing locates you. It enables you to get home and find your way in the dark. Also, when you're heading out, the currents at sea, moving you left and moving you right, and when you think you're on target to get somewhere, you can use this piece of equipment when the current sways you to bring you back on course. If you're going to go deeper with God and deeper into the waters that God is calling you, you need to be well equipped. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, makes a good argument as to why this is the case. Could I just have a chair, Maddie? I'm going to sit facing forwards. It's going to be a bit easier than turning around. So he's a logistical nightmare trying to preach out of a tinny. I dare to try it one day. There was no practicing either. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. Now this is, this is Paul making a really good argument for why being well-equipped is necessary for life. It says this, and it's entitled Godlessness in the Last Days. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Paul was writing this letter from prison. Not just his first imprisonment, but consequent imprisonments that he had um, experienced over his ministry life. He is saying the seas will be rough. For Christians, for people following Jesus, the currents are going to push against you. There are going to be times where the, the storms of life will brew and burst right in front of you. And so be equipped, he will go on to say. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanes and Hombres, that's my Spanish version of these guys' name, I don't actually know how to pronounce them, opposed Yanes and Hombres, opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men." Paul is very clear that life living for Jesus that is beyond the realms of ankle-deep faith, there will be difficulty. It's not going to be easy. Anyone who at maybe a youth conference or a youth event in your early years 
told you that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be awesome. It's simply not the case. We know that when we decide to follow Jesus, there will be difficult times. And not just because it's a wrestle within ourselves to align ourselves to the the holiness of God, but yet there is this world around us in chaos and in mess that we find ourselves in having to learn to live out a different way of being human. Paul is very articulate and descriptive of the kinds of winds and currents that will buffet and beat against our lives and the church. And without knowing that this was written in and around a hundred years after Jesus, you could be mistaken for thinking that this was somebody in our time, in 2021, writing of the same kinds of godlessness that they experienced then. It would appear to me that godlessness in Paul's time is like looking in the mirror in our time, that people will be lovers of self, that people will be lovers of money, that they will be brutal and conceited and that they will be arrogant. They'll be focused only on themselves. They'll be heartless, unappeasable. They'll be whingers. That wasn't in there, but I'll just add it in anyway. They'll be not loving good. They'll be treacherous. Lovers of pleasure. Appearing to be godly but denying his power. You know, I could just about turn on, on any day of the week a primetime news bulletin and within half an hour, just about all of these here listed would be featured somewhere in a news story. Now, if these are the KPIs for a life or heart being torn apart by the squalls of this post-Christian secular culture, then I would say that we are right in the eye of the storm. This report card of godlessness is the antithesis. It is the polar opposite of what it means for people like you and I to be lovers of God and lovers of others. So how do we as Jesus followers find our way through the darkness of these godless days and not be capsized by the onslaught of the ultra-progressive and secular storms that brew around us? Or how do we even begin to navigate the rough days and the storms within our own hearts as we try and work out this thing called life? Do we just batten down the hatches and just hit the deck, cover our heads and hope that the storm is going to pass? Do we run away to somewhere or something that will make it feel like the storm is not there? Or is there a better way for the people of God to be different in a world that is imploding under the weight of its own failed promises? Now, the godlessness that Paul is speaking of here is not just about the person sitting across the room from you. This isn't about, hey, look at there. They're so godless. Look at how they're behaving. At least I'm not that bad. You know, as Paul was writing, I'm sure he was speaking to the church just as much as he was to leaders at this point, saying this isn't just about everyone else, but you as Jesus followers are not immune to what this world is doing. So then here is a way for us to move forward. Paul, against the backdrop of broken people in a broken world, offers us a way to stay strong in the storms of our cultural, societal, national, and even our personal hardships. 
And he says it this way from verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. I want to ask a question. Who are you following? You know, with one click on Instagram or on Facebook or on LinkedIn or on TikTok, I don't even know where it goes these days. I'm not sure what you can follow people on, but just about with one click, we can follow anyone just about on planet Earth. And we do so because we either we know them and they're our friends or our family and we're interested in their lives. But it's also because there's something about their lives and how it's presented in their manicured online gallery that um, appeals to us, that we're attracted to, or maybe fulfilling something within our own hearts that we even long and we wish for. We are so easily drawn to uh, follow people who do something for our image or something for our own desires. What if we were to follow, though, people who did something for our heart? What if we reframed what who we follow by not what they can do for us, but how they can contribute to our hearts as we go along the way of life? If we gave ourselves to the task of following people whose teaching is godly, following someone whose life and faith is worth emulating, what if we followed people who are known because of their patience and not because of the size of their purse? What if we followed people who had a track record of stability and steadfastness and not sourness in the face of difficulty and hardship in life? What if we followed people who, through trials and tribulations, have endured and have grown wiser in the Lord? As I prepared this message, I was left asking, who am I going to follow or not follow in 2021? You know, I might begin with Paul. Paul puts himself out there, some would say arrogantly so, but I would say no, he is placed here in Scripture as a way for us to follow the Lord more fully. If you're looking for someone to follow this year, open the Word of God and follow the life of Paul, the way he was in the face of hardship and tribulation, and dare I say that you might find things in there that will help you along the way of life. Paul continues in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's breathed out by God and it's useful. It's breathed out by God and it's applicable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the people of God may be complete, equipped. Let's just say the word equipped. One, two, three. Equipped. For every good word. So here is Paul's proposal for people like you and I who live 
play and work in contexts and cultures where godlessness seems rife. Acquaint yourself with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do this and you will be complete and equipped. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be equipped if we're talking about going into the deep places that God is calling us into. I want to be equipped. I want to have all of the bits necessary. I want to have the internal resources to deal with all of the pressures and all of the hardship and as well as all of the success and all of the joy and all of the attention that comes with following a life well for Jesus. I want to be equipped firstly to overcome the evil in my own heart. You know, I want to be equipped to deal with the prideful bits. I want to be equipped to deal with the unholy bits. I want to be equipped to deal with the arrogant bits. I want to be equipped to deal with the things internally within me that as the storms rage in my own heart, that I have the capacity to move through them. I want to be equipped to be continually transformed. Secondly, I want to be equipped to live in a way that shows others what God is like and what true freedom looks like. You know, there's lots of tools out there to equip you, but are they producing a life that looks like Jesus? There's a lot of people that you could be following and taking their advice on their Insta feeds or down to the self-help section at the local bookshop, and I'm not saying that there's not anything of worth and help in those things. But I'm wondering, are we being equipped in God's Word first rather than everything else first? And thirdly, I want to be equipped because we must engage with what's happening in the world around us, with the questions, with the doubts, and with the hurts of people needing hope in their lives. In the very next chapter, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul says this, you're going to find that will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times with the good. Keep the message alive and do a thorough job as God's servant. You see, the place of our equipping must be in the Word of God. Full stop. Because it is only the God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired, Jesus-revealing, wisdom-promoting Word of God that can make your heart whole and equip you for the tasks that He has at hand for you. And not just to survive the storms of life, but to thrive through them. It is only the Holy Spirit, God-breathed, inspired Word of God that will equip you for such a thing. It is written of the Word that it is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's Hebrews 4, 12. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your Word. Psalm 119.130 The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the people. And in God's word, we can find 
understanding. Psalm 33, 4, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Psalm 19:7. the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. The word of God is the most useful, the most versatile, the most practical, the most relational. When I wrote that word this morning, relational, it reframed even in my own thinking. When I come to read God's word, that this is the greatest expression of God's relationship with us, that through the enduring years of millennia that would be preserved for you and I, the self-revealing scriptures that remind us of the goodness and the grace and the majesty and the wonder of God, that he speaks to us through the pages of his word. It is deeply relational, not just a transaction that we take in our quiet times in the morning, but a relationship we're called into to hold intention and to dance with the scriptures of the Lord. They are inspiring and equipping tool for you and for me to live well in this topsy-turvy kind of life. You see, the word of God is like a fishing hat and a fishing shirt. It offers protection from the harshness of the environment around us. The Word of God is like a life jacket. It buoys you when you feel like you're sinking. The Word of God is like a fire extinguisher. It extinguishes all of the fiery darts that the enemy would throw your way. The Word of God is like a torch. In the darkest of nights, it will lead you home. The Word of God is like the navigation lights. As we read it and as we live it, people will see us and go, there they are. See, the word of God is like an anchor. It enables you to dig in and hold fast and makes you keep your ground in the currents and the tides around you. The word of God is like a bailer. It's good for getting what's not meant to be in there out. As all of the, the sinful bits and all of the, the thinking and all of the behaving that we just know isn't right the Word of God, it just comes in and it scoops it and it tips it out. The Word of God is like a fishing rod. It makes you more effective for the mission. The Word of God is like a fighting belt. It gives you better strength and leverage while you work. It seems to me, and this is just anecdotal evidence, it seems to me that when I spend time in God's Word as I read it and it reads me. There seems to be a greater sense of understanding God's grace and ease about which I go about my life. doesn't necessarily make it any easier, but it feels like there is greater leverage in my life to fight the fights that are ahead of me. Now, the Word of God is like having the right tackle. As the seasons changed, 
you'll always be equipped with the right thing. The Word of God is like the seat cushions. When the water of life is choppy, it will save your bum. (laughs) It's true. It saved mine plenty of times. The Word of God is like Ballistol or Inox or WD-40. When all of those bits in our hearts and our minds get seized up, when there is the corrosiveness of life that seems to restrict us and to stop us functioning as we're meant to. The Word of God is like that can and it finds all those squeaky bits and all of the creaky bits and it applies it to us and we begin to move more freely again. The Word of God is like the fish finder. It scans the depths of God's heart and reveals the image of what is unseen. As we navigate the waters of life, you know, the Word of God is like the transducer, which is, uh, you can't see it maybe, but at the back there's a big black thing that sticks out the back and it sends down a signal and as it goes down it returns back what it sees and we don't see everything. We don't see everything in the spiritual realm, we don't see even everything in the natural realm, but when we have the Word of God in our hands and in our hearts, it is like a transducer that sends a signal down into the depths of the heart of who God is, into his nature, into his character, and it shows up on the screen of God's word. This is what he's like. You know, the word of God is like the GPS. It locates you when you're lost. And if you feel like you are lost this morning at sea, being tossed and thrown about by all of the currents, open the word of God. It will locate you, friends. It shows you true north when it feels like the compass of your life is spinning and you don't know which way is up, there's just that little arrow on the screen that says, that's the way, that's the way. It corrects you when you've been taken off course and it always leads you home. The Word of God is useful for teaching you, for protecting you, for correcting you, for training you, for completing you, for releasing you, for strengthening you, and for equipping you as you are called into the deep. And so, to apply some practicality to this message, if there wasn't some already, today I'm going to launch a seven-week Bible reading project that all of us as a faith community are going to go on together. Just seven weeks not 365 days, not a one-year Bible reading plan that we'll all get excited for in the first week and then next week we'll all be over it and couldn't be staffed any longer. But seven weeks in the Word of God together. And we're going to read the book of John, a, a book that is written by someone who knew the depths of God's love as found in Jesus, someone who could write from the deep place of relationship, someone writing from the deep place of understanding of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's nearness. And there's 21 chapters, and in seven weeks, that means divide by three. We get to three. Three chapters every week for the next seven weeks. Can you do that? And what I want you to do is I want you to read it, whether it's on your own or with others, but I would love for you to converse with people about what you're reading. Not just to tick the box, I've read my three chapters, but who are you having coffee with during the week? Who are you walking with? Who are you in life group with? Who are you meeting up with? Who are your neighbours? You know, I remember sitting under some teaching of Dale Stevenson from Crossway Baptist down in the Mornington Peninsula and they initiated this thing called the Bible Discovery Method 
where they were asking their non-Christian friends a very simple question. Hey, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I'm wondering whether you'd like to join me. What a great question. I mean, it's a bit difficult for someone to back out of that unless they really mean it. I wonder who in our lives, I mean, is there, is there a person in your mind right now who you could approach that doesn't know Jesus yet, that you could ask that question, hey, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with and I'm reading this book called John and we're just going to do three chapters a week and, you know, you only have to read just a little section if you want, but um, let's meet up and let's, let's talk about it. I wonder if there's one there for you. And there's a couple of great questions. You don't have to write all these down. We're going to send this out in resources through our Be Connected email. And if you don't receive that, please come and see me. Every week we'll send it out and it's going to have promptings of the scriptures for the week. But as we sit with somebody, whether they know Jesus or they don't, and we ask questions, what do you see? Just allow each other to respond to what you see in God's word. What does this say about God? What does this say about us? What is God saying to you? Another question you might ask after that is, what are you going to do? And who are you going to tell? I mean, what an incredible opportunity that we have to create a movement where God's Word speaks to people as they read it. I mean, it's all well and good for you to sit here and and, and whoever is speaking be able to articulate and share the Word of God, but my goodness, my friends, when we we see God moving as self-revealing through his word as that impacts people beyond this moment in this room. Dare I say that we'll see the living waters of God flow through people's lives like never before because the word of God is so useful. Are you in for that? Three chapters a week, the book of John, and that'll take us to Easter. What a great time to finish um, reading a whole section of scripture together as a church. By way of wrapping up, let me just show you a few things. See, when you go out to see into the deep, uh, you see some really, really cool things. We'll put the next image up. This is a, this is a, a mahi-mahi or a dorado or a dolphin fish that my mate Dean Munro caught. Uh, what a wonderful, beautiful piece of God's creation. And gee, it tasted absolutely delicious. It fed a lot of people. If we had submitted this, this would have been an Australian record, 33 kilo fish. The next one's similar, same same species, but I caught this one with Rocky just two weeks ago, and uh, Donna, she scooped, I dropped a whole slab of that bad boy around to Donna's, and she turned it into curry. Do you see some wonderful things out at sea? This next one, this is a a black marlin, and uh, he lived. We let him go. We just grabbed a photo and let let him go. And that's a 110 kilo black marlin. You know, you see that come up beside the boat and it's just, wow, God, your creation is just so wonderful. It is just, wow. This next one I was out with Rocky and Fozzer, actually, you were with us this day. What? <laughs> we're just minding our own business and old mate. humpback whale, the size right of a bus, of right at the back of the boat. Rocky couldn't believe it. It's going back, back that way. What are, what's all that stuff on its back? Yeah, well, take him fishing, ask a thousand questions. What's this? What's that? Whoa, oh, man, the dolphins. You go out into the deep and, you know, they see the boat coming and they, 
they dive into the boat and they sit there for 10 minutes at, at a time and they'll just ride the bow of, of the boat and you can look down over the front and you can see their eyes and they look up at you and they dive back down and come up and around. And, you know, when you go into the deep, you see wondrous things. This next one is a two-shot sequence. This is taken from 40 kilometres offshore back at the Sydney skyline. And it reminded me that when you go out into the deep, you get a different perspective on things. You know, never would you have seen this unless you were way, way out to sea at a place called Browns Mountain. It's not actually a mountain out of the sea. It's a mountain under the sea, by the way. There's no secret mountain hanging out there for you to discover that you've never missed out on. It's underwater mountain. And you look back and you see the city skyline and you just get reminded of when you get out into the deep place with God that your perspective changes. I think there's another one as well, the same one, but just a bit later. Just beautiful things you see when you go deep. You know, this one here, next one here, this is, this is the corals and the fish of the Astrolabe Reef in eastern Fiji, where the water comes up from hundreds of metres deep, literally to this plateau just here, and the life bursting with incredible vibrance and vitality. You know, I've been in deep water before, two, three kilometres deep. I've seen so many wondrous things, all that we've just shown you, and plus many, many more. But none as deep. No, no water as healing. No water that brings the kind of rafah that I spoke to last week as these. The Mariana Trench is not even as deep as these waters. Um, um, Nathaniel, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross uh, for the forgiveness of your sins? Yeah, do you confess him as your Lord and Saviour? Yeah, yeah, on that confession of faith, mate, I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well done, Nathaniel. See, deep renewal in the healing waters of God's presence, where the water of life flows from heaven and impacts every life and every living creature, that is where it's at. And just because the water is only in a few inches deep, it is that kind of water that we seek, the water that brings renewed hearts through faith in Jesus Christ, as revealed through his word, and we will see more and more people going into that kind of deep water as we go. So as the Lord takes us deeper, there will be so much beauty and wonder to be seen, not just seen with our eyes, but beauty felt and seen in our hearts as lives are changed and turned around. You know, in Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, there's an incredible moment where the Ark of the Covenant is returned to Jerusalem. And it takes a bit of a journey, which we're not going to go into right now, through a few households. And as it goes, it, it, on one hand, it, it, a guy got near the Ark of the Covenant, he died. Don't worry about him for a sec. Um, but then there's another household that the Ark went through and it, it changed this household. Uh, it blessed this household and it went on to be a prosperous household. And then David grabbed the Ark and he took it to Jerusalem. And, when the, and the Ark of the Covenant being a symbol for us now of the presence of God when it got there, it says to us in the word that he danced with all of his might. You know, it goes on in the next chapter and it, it actually gets naked before the Lord. We're not going to do that, by the way, church. But there is this sense that 
David has in his heart when he sees the wondrous things in God's presence, that he throws off everything that would hinder. He throws off all the weightiness of life. He throws off all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the things that would hinder him from worshipping the Lord and that he worships with all of his might. You know, it is my belief that as we go deeper into God's word, it will beget more wonder in our hearts. You've heard it said, of particularly if you've had babies, sleep begets sleep. The word begets wonder. And when you have the word of God in your heart and when we see God through the scriptures... It will beget wonder in our lives, awe and reverence of the King. Let me pray. I'll invite the band back up. Father, we thank you that in your word we can be well equipped. In fact, we are made complete. And Father, I want to recognise that even in my own life, discipline and the sense of not measuring up and not reading the word as much as I should are all real things, but Father, we thank you that your grace is enough for us. So Father, we pray that as we engage with your word over the next seven weeks and beyond in maybe a new and fresh way, Father, we pray that we would see Jesus. We pray that we would have a deeper revelation of your love for us. We pray that our hearts and our hands and our heads would be well equipped to deal with the harshness of our day, to deal with the questions that come at us, to deal with our own personal hardships. Father, may the answers and maybe the wisdom and may the understanding come from your word. But Father, we thank you for it and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would develop within us a passion and a hunger to know more, to know you more, to read your word more, to become acquainted with the sacred texts that have carried our forefathers and the church through so many things. So Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you would reveal to us in your word who you are. We pray, God, that you'd soften our hearts, that you remind us of the most important things. And Lord, that we would be well equipped for the journey ahead in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.